We are continuing a series that we started at the beginning of the year called Prayer Dependence on God. And this has been a conviction for me. This has been a conviction for our church. As we, as we plant a church, uh, it's really easy to fall into this trap of thinking that it's our ideas and our strategies and our efforts uh, that bring fruit, even if we kind of pray over these things sort of uh, perfunctory. And God has really led us to a convicted place of depending on him in prayer and the essentialness of prayer and how that humbles us before God to say, God, do what you uh, would do. And so we continue to invite you to come at 10 a.m. to join us in prayer, and we are currently planning some all-church uh, prayer days, and we're going to have those out to you uh, soon as well. Today, I want to look at the idea of disappointment when it comes to prayer. So a couple of weeks ago, I preached on praying through hard times. Uh, today, I want to look at disappointment. Disappointment can happen um, sometimes in really traumatic circumstances. Other times, it's just like, man, I really, thought, I really thought this is where God was leading. I really thought God was opening this door. Have you felt that before? I felt like this door was opening, and then it shut. It closed, and now I'm disappointed. I have this disappointed feeling. And, and as we look at disappointment, this really impacts the way we depend on God, right? We're talking about dependence on God, uh, but this relates to what we're looking for from God, right? So if, if I go to a, a vending machine and I push the Doritos button and I'm like, all right, I'm excited. I got the taste for the, you know, nacho cheese Doritos. I'm, I'm ready. And then out comes the, um, you know, those chocolate wafers with like the, what are those called? You know, those, they're, they're, nobody, no, those <laughs> chocolate, like they're like sticks and they have wafers. And nobody likes those. Like, why do they even make those? What? What, what are they called? Nutty bars. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. So like you get a nutty bar and you're like, wait a second, I wanted Doritos. Like this is what I wanted. And I pushed the button, but the, mach the machine malfunctioned and like the wrong thing came out. You're disappointed. You're like, do I put another dollar in? Because it's going to mess up again, right? So we do that with prayer sometimes. I think we, we have an expectation of what God's going to give us. We're like, God's going to give me this. And then something else comes out, <laughs> and we're like, wait a second, that's not the button I pushed, right? That feeling. All right, so I was trying to think of a, a, a visual aid to help us with the concept of disappointment, and I thought of this. <laughs> Kyle just left. Craig's, Craig's liking this. Joel's gone. Kyle's gone. We got all our Lions fans have left the room. <laughs> Kyle just left the church permanently. I was trying to think of a visual aid for disappointment. First of all, I want to apologize to Lions fans um, for bringing up this traumatic event in your life. <laughs> now, I am, a, I am neutral. I'm neutral. I'm not a Lions hater. I'm not a Lions fan. I'm neutral. But it's like, how can you not pull for the Lions? They've been the worst team in sports since the beginning of time. And like, they finally, ha no, no Lions fan disagrees with that, by the way. I mean, that's pretty, pretty factual, right? Uh, they finally had this chance. 
and then they, they, they lost. They lost in a dramatic way. Um, and, and I understand not everybody here is a sports fan, and, and uh, I, I, I hear you. And you're going to be, you non-sports fans will be able to counsel and, and be the therapist for our Lions fans here in a moment when we break into our, back into our groups. Um, but the Lions figured out a way um, to lose in, in cataclysmic fashion that in, unless you're Craig, I mean, unless you're Craig, and you're, he was dancing when it happened. I know he was. As he's, a, he's a Bears fan, and he is a Lions hater. So you may not want to be in his discussion group here in a moment. Um, you, you had to be disappointed. Like, the team a couple years ago was like 0-16. That's really hard to do. They didn't win a single game. They haven't won a playoff game since I was like eight years old or something like that, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how bad they've been. And then they're, they've won their first playoff game. They're up 24 to 7. They're one win away from the Super Bowl. 20, so when you're up 24-7 in football, what are you thinking? We are going to win. If you got on Facebook during that time, I'm saying people were dancing. We're going to the Super Bowl. Like, hopes are really, really high. And then, they, and then this happened, and a few other things happened. And, uh, and they, <laughs> hey, I know a good therapist that goes to our church. So Kyle's wife is a therapist. So, um, But isn't it worse when you get your hopes up? Like, it'd be better if you're just like, I'd rather just be 0-17 again than have this happen, right? Like, or, or maybe you could win, like, one game. Just to, but, like, let's just be, like, 1-16 then have this happen. You get your hopes up and you think in your prayer life, you're like, God is doing this thing. I'm already telling people about it. I'm posting on Facebook about it. I already got a tattoo of it, of like Dan Campbell's face. You know, we're going to the Super Bowl. And then, boom, right? Like the higher your hopes get, the more it hurts, right? When it hits the ground, okay? So we have some discussion questions. If you're new to Mosaic, um, we, 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 do, we, do, um, we do these every week. Um, I try to keep them lighthearted. I know the first one for some is not lighthearted. We do have tissues in the house. Now, if you're, if you're um, again, I mean, proceed with caution to be in Craig's group because he, he will, has no filter for Lions fans uh, for this first one, okay? So, um, but I, I want you to share, first of all, I, I purposely did not ask a question about share a time when you were disappointed because it's, it's really deep stuff. Like that's some vulnerable stuff and these discussion groups are just meant to be lighthearted and get to know each other. So you don't need to share a time you were disappointed um, outside of it being related to the Lions. Uh, but how did you feel about the Lions losing? You might not care at all. You're like, I don't care about sports. I was just there to see if, how many times Taylor Swift was on you know, TV or something. That was, that was uh, Mario, you know, had the tracker over there, the, the Taylor tracker. Um, and, then the, but, and secondly, and this one's a little more serious, just how does it feel when we get disappointed, right? Like, just it could be a big thing. It could be a little thing. You go to order your favorite meal, and they're like, oh, we're all out of that key ingredient, you know, we're all out of pepperoni, we're all out of chicken. It's like, how can you be out of chicken? You're like a chicken place, you know, or whatever, right? (laughs) Like, would would you like these leaves instead? No, I don't. I want the thing I wanted. How does it feel when you're disappointed, okay? So break up into the same groups or similar groups. You may modify because our teens uh, left. Break up into groups and for five minutes, uh, discuss these, and then I'll be back to do the rest of the sermon. Okay, so this week, I really, um, God led me the passage we're in today because 
you know, I, I, had, some, I had some disappointments this week. Um, it, it, felt like, it felt like God was opening some doors, you know, and prayer to me, sometimes it can feel like this dance with God. You know, I'm, what order do I do these things in? I'm praying for these things. There was this, this thing on my radar and really on our church's radar, and it wasn't something that I planned. And usually that's like a good indicator. Like this wasn't my idea. I often have an idea, and then I take the idea to God and say, God, make this thing work. You know, will you bless this idea? I need this idea to happen. So this one, uh, it wasn't my idea, and I try to take it slow, um, but as it looked like maybe this thing was going to happen, what happened to my hopes? They went up, right? As, as, it, as it felt like, well, this thing I think is going to happen, and I start telling more people about it, kind of like the Lions at halftime, you know? Sorry, you guys mentioned Josh in the Facebook videos. I, I hope everyone has access to Josh. Joshua Smooth on Facebook. Be, be his friend. And, oh, man, his videos during the Lions games are just, they are worth the price of admission. Uh, but you get, I was getting my hopes up about this, this prayer, and it was something Mosaic-related, and it would have just been a really cool thing, and then it didn't happen. Like, I sort of got the news this week that it, it didn't happen. And for me, how I would answer discussion question two is when I'm disappointed, uh, I feel deflated. I, I just feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to regroup from this. Like, I just, whew, right? And first of all, I want to always encourage you, whatever your human emotion is, to feel your human emotion. Like, you are a human. I am a human. It is okay to feel deflated. It is okay to feel however you feel when you are disappointed. I think in the church sometimes we act like if you're a mature Christian, then when something bad happens in your life or you're disappointed in something that you have to just smile and have joy and, you know, rejoice all the way through it. We don't see that in the Bible. I mean, we see humans having real human emotions, especially in the Psalms. Um, God didn't make you to be a robot. He didn't make you to be an angel. He made you to be a human, and it's healthy to have emotion, right? So I feel deflated, and I'm feeling deflated, and I just go into prayer, and I, I, I really, I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms, and I, I really sense God calling me into something he calls the psalmist into over and over again, and that is to seek his face and to seek his presence. And, and really feeling the question from the Holy Spirit, is my presence enough for you? Is my face enough for you when we're talking about depending on God? So we're back in the Psalms today. I was, I was here uh, two weeks ago and we're back today. I've been spending a lot of personal time in the Psalms and I love the Psalms. They're full of raw emotion. If you're at a point in your faith where prayer doesn't make sense, if you're at a point in your faith where it's hard to read the Bible, it's hard to pray, I'd really encourage you to spend time uh, in the Psalms. And if you go through the Psalms, a lot of them at once, you start to see a theme through many of the Psalms. And a theme I've started to see is uh, a bad thing is happening to the psalmist. A bad circumstance is happening. The psalmist prays that this bad thing will be taken away. Uh, for praying for deliverance. And often we think that's what depending on God is. Like, God, I can't remove this thing. I need you to remove it. And that becomes, you know, the prayer. But for the psalmist, more often than not, the circumstance doesn't change. If you read through the whole psalm and you don't just pluck out one verse, you go, well, wait a second. The psalmist is still in the same circumstance they were in at the beginning of this psalm. And often, so then we're asked the question, now what? And often the psalmist, and particularly in Psalm 31, we're going to be today, 
what the psalmist does is rests in God's presence and rests in God's unfailing love and rests in seeking God's face. And so uh, this week for me, I was in that space of deflation, and I, that's what I heard from God. Seek my face, seek my presence. And then the next question is, is it enough for you, Noah? Like, is my face and presence enough for you? Or do you need the thing? Okay, the thing. The thing that you have been praying for. Now, I think we all have a the thing. Um, I, I am a comic book nerd. I almost put a picture of the old, the rock guy from Fantastic Four up here. And I, if you're thinking the thing, I'm with you. But I, I, refer, I controlled myself. I held myself back because then I went, that has nothing to do with this sermon and would be strange. But if you're visualizing the thing, just go ahead. I'm telling you, I do, I'm doing the same thing. All right. The thing for my amazing visual aid today, I wrote the thing on my coffee cup. So this is going to be our, our visual aid. I'll come show Darby over here. Hi, Darby. Okay, this is the thing right here. The thing is the thing that we pray for. This is the thing I need God to do for me. Like, you may not phrase it that way, but this is the thing that's gotten your hopes up. This is the thing that is at the center of your prayer life. And I'm telling you that the thing is often very legitimate. I am not dismissing the thing that you're praying for or the thing that I'm praying for. Uh, and also, it's definitely okay to have requests before God. The Bible tells us to have requests before God. What I want to propose today is that we reposition the order of ourselves, the thing, and God himself. Okay, And I think that's what the psalmist is doing here uh, in the psalm. So we're going we're gonna to come back to the thing, but it's here. This is the thing that we are praying for, the thing that you need God to do for you, the thing that you're getting your hopes up about. All right, we're in Psalm 31. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, so if you want to open it up in your Bible, I'd encourage you to, or open it up on your phone uh, Bible app, Psalm 31, and we're gonna, but we're going to go through uh, parts of it on the screen. So let's look here at some of the opening verses of the psalm. It says, "'In you, Lord, I've taken refuge.'" Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, since you are my rock and my fortress. For the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. Now, I put in yellow, I kind of highlighted in yellow, what I think is our standard perception of prayer here, and that is, God, do the thing for me. So verse 2 kind of feels like that. Turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue, be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Like, I need you to do this thing for me. Do this thing. Save me, God, right? And this is one posture of prayer we can have in prayer. We go to God, I need you, I need you to do this thing, do this, I need you to do this thing. That's one posture of prayer that we can have. But this is the same passage, so you just see I've just changed colors here from yellow uh, to orange. There's also another posture of prayer that you see the psalmist doing in the very opening verses of this passage. And if you, if you look, he says, I put my spirit into your hands in verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And if that sounds familiar, we'll come back to that later of why that might sound familiar if you've never read Psalm 31 before, because we find it at another point in the Bible uh, that we'll talk about at the end. But it's a very different posture of prayer. The psalmist is taking this thing 
and he's putting it in God's hands, right? He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm putting it into your hands. Uh, Verse 7, I'm going to be glad and rejoice in your love. I don't know if I'm going to get the thing or not. I don't know if I'm going to get it. But I'm going to be glad and rejoice in your love. Is the psalmist glad and rejoicing in God's love because he got the thing? No, he doesn't. We're going to get to that. He actually never gets the thing in this psalm, right? Um, But I'm going to put it at your feet. And I'm going to depend on you, not on myself and not on this thing. And, and when we pray like this, when we begin to learn to pray like this, we can begin to rest. And I don't mean rest in what happens to the thing, rest in God's will if it, he says yes or no. I just mean rest. I mean like you've taken it off your plate and you've put it on God's plate. And we can rest in the very person and presence of God. Uh, Verse 1, he says, In you, Lord, I've taken my refuge. So this is a question for all of us. Is the Lord our refuge or is the thing our refuge? Right? Refuge is the thing I need to keep me safe. It's the thing I need to keep me secure. It's the thing I need to give me peace. It's the thing I need to give me rest. Is that what I'm praying for from God? I need this thing to happen. These are very legitimate prayer requests that we're asking God for. Relational difficulties, health difficulties, career opportunities. God, I need this thing to have peace, to have safety, to have security. This thing's going to be my refuge. I need you to give me this thing so I have a refuge. A refuge is what you see on the screen here. these, These waves are crashing in. They're out of control. They will kill you if you get lost in them. And the refuge is this lighthouse. It's this brick building. There's nothing fancy about it except it's really, really strong, and it, and it will protect you from the storm. So the psalmist says, in you, Lord, I've taken my refuge. He's choosing to make God his refuge, not the thing. He's choosing to be glad and rejoice in God's love. We're praying that God will change the thing, but God's love is the answer to our prayer. God's love is the answer to our prayer. So there's really two ways we can look at prayer as we we approach it. One is, God, do the thing for me. And the other one is, God, I put this thing in your hands, and I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to rest in your love. I'm going to rest in your face. Your face shining upon me, as the psalm will talk about. And I'm going to rest in your presence. So let's keep looking through the psalm and see how the psalmist does this. Um, Picking up at the end of verse 8, he says, For you saw my affliction, and you knew the anguish of my soul. Before I keep going, I want to tell you this is really deep stuff, so brace yourself emotionally for it, and it is in the present tense. He's not saying, I used to be like this, and then you bailed me out, God. I used to be like this, and then you saved me. He's saying, this is my experience right now. As I pen the words of Scripture, this is what I'm experiencing. The anguish of my soul, verse 9, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my what? My years by groaning. This has been going on for years. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. I have become like broken pottery. Have you ever become like broken pottery? He's just taking this before God, saying this is my present tense 
circumstance, God. Will you hear me? And in the old mode of prayer, in this mode of prayer, the obvious prayer is God changed my circumstances. You have to. I need them to change. The thing has to change because look at my circumstance. The psalmist has those same two choices. He's just like me and you, has the same two choices and his posture and approach to prayer. Verse 14, and we see some orange again in here. He says, in the midst of broken pottery. So I left the image on the screen because that image has not changed. This is his life. And before we move on, we could talk about broken pottery, right? Pottery is meant to, back, back in ancient times, it would have held liquid. You wouldn't have had a coffee cup at church. They'd have given you, you know, a clay pot and you'd put your Turkish coffee in there. <laughs> I'm sure they had it, all the, you know, synagogues and everything, you know. Uh, Turkish coffee's good. You need a spoon, like, to eat it, but it's really good. Um, broken pottery is worthless, right? Like, have you ever felt worthless? Have you ever felt like, I used to be a whole, you know, vessel. I used to be useful. I used to be able to hold water and coffee and, and plants. Like, I used, you can't do much with this. God, who am I? Like, who am I anymore? I don't even know who I am. That's a really hard place to be, right? It's a really hard place. This is the place he's in as he prays this. He says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God, like a declaration, like LaRonda let us in earlier. He's just making this declaration in the midst of this broken pottery. I trust in you, Lord, and you are my God. Again, verse 15, it sounds so much like verse 5. My times are in your hands. Think about that. When we pray for the thing, whose hands is our, our, our times in? It's in our hands. I need this thing. I need it to happen, God. And the psalmist says, I'm putting this in your hands. My times are in your hands, God. This church is in God's hands. This thing that's on each of our radars, and we have more than one, they, it is in God's hands, not in my hands. If you look at the second part of verse 15, he says, deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. He's still praying for deliverance. We need to pray for deliverance from our circumstances. But here's the thing. We never know if he ever got it. Like the psalmist, the psalm never tells us if he was delivered from his enemies. We just don't know. All we know was his posture in the middle of it. Verse 16, let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let your face shine upon me. Let me see your face. Let me see your unfailing love. That's what I need. That is what I need. He's in the refuge. He's in the lighthouse with the waves all around him. And he's just praying, verse 16. He's saying, let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. And this is what God spoke to me this week in my deflation. Noah, can this be your prayer? Can you just change your prayer? Can, can you stop telling me you need this thing so much? <laughs> and can you just seek my face? Can you seek my presence? Will you let the thing be your hope and your foundation? Will you let the thing be your resting place 
Or God is just inviting me into himself saying, or will you let me be your resting place? Will you let me be your hope? Will you let me be your foundation? So we get to the end of the psalm here. And uh, verse 19, I put it back in yellow because it's, if, if, you, if you were just to read maybe this one verse and not understand what's going on, at first glance, this first verse sounds like, uh, God, do this thing for me, prayer. It says, how abundant are the good things you have stored up for those who fear you. And I fully agree with that. I say amen to that. So we must think, oh, he's out of his circumstance now. Like now God's hooking him up. He's out of it. He's not out of it. He's not out of it. And that makes it so much more powerful. Remember, this whole psalm is in the present tense. So the abundance of the good things that we think of And they're good things. It's okay to think those things. It's okay to pray those things. But the abundance of the good things can't mean that his his circumstances, his enemies all around him, his suffering, his agony, that it's over. It has to mean something else. And we see it. We see it in the rest of the passage here. So um, we're going to look at that. We have to ask ourselves, how will we pray? How will we pray? And, And when it comes to those good things, we're going to unpack them in the text here in a minute. Um, it comes back to what we're expecting from God, right? If, what are you expecting from God when you go to pray? That's huge. And I'm telling you, I've been walking with Jesus a long time, and this is a fresh thing that God is trying to get my head around, right? What are you expecting from God? Because if you're looking for the wrong thing, you're not going to see it when what God brings you comes, right? You're, you're not going to see it. If, if I'm expecting A, and that's all my mind is fixated on, is A, A, A. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And my, meanwhile, God has his provision over here, but it's not what I'm looking for. I'm going to be let down almost every time. So we got we to shift the way we pray. We got to shift what we're looking for from God in our prayers. So we're back to the orange here. This is the same passage uh, I just showed, the, the, how abundant are the good things. Let's look at what these good things are that he talks about. That you've stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. There's something powerful about verse 20 when I think about that lighthouse and those waves all around crashing and the good things that the Lord has stored for those who fear him. The psalmist is still in the shelter. And he says, it's in the shelter of your presence that you hide me from all of these human intrigues. When the city is under siege. So what under siege means is an army would surround your city with all their weapons and they wouldn't let any food in. So you ate all the food you had and there's no more food coming in. And you starve to death or you surrender. Okay, that's what under siege means. The psalmist is saying, I'm under siege. I am the broken pottery. When I was in the city under siege, you showed me the wonders of your love. Are you and I able to receive the wonders of God's love when our city is under siege? Right? The answer is yes. 
We, we can, we can, but it doesn't come naturally to us because our prayer is, God, slay that enemy out there. End the siege. Bring us back into a place where there's crops and there's food. Be strong and take heart, all who hope in the Lord. What if we prayed like this? In the midst of broken pottery, in the midst of the, the, the waves all around us, what if this became your prayer? Instead of God, fix the thing. I need this thing to happen. The prayer was in you, Lord. I've taken refuge. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. My times, they're in your hands. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them. You hide me from all human intrigues. I'm going to hope in the Lord. Do you know who prayed like this? Psalmist did, obviously. There's one other very significant person in the Bible <laughs> that prayed like this. And in verse 5, if you're like, where have I heard verse 5? Did I, did I memorize that in Awana or something? Like, did I, did I get a sticker for that at one point? It's because Jesus says it. It is the last recorded words in Luke's biography of Jesus before he dies. He is on the cross, suffering. He is in agony. And Jesus calls out with a loud voice, quoting Psalm 31 verbatim to his Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. If you just read that in Luke, you might be like, oh, he's dying. He's giving God his spirit. No, he's taking all of Psalm 31 and he's saying, Father, I am the broken pottery right now. I am in the midst of agony right now. The thing I wanted didn't happen. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? I know you, not everyone here is super familiar with Scripture. The night before Jesus died, he pleaded to the Father, take this cup from me. Save, you, save the world in some other way. I don't want to go die on that cross. Do the thing. His last words are, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm going to give you the thing. It's, I'm going to give it to you, God. It's not going to be my thing. Jesus prayed like this. So we have to ask ourselves a question. What was Jesus depending on? He was depending on the Father's face. He was depending on the Father's presence. He was defending, depending on the Father's unfailing love. Not on the thing. In the same way Jesus prayed like this, in his storm, in his broken pottery, for God's unfailing love, for God's presence, I believe God wants us to pray like this. I believe God wants me to pray like this. And when I do, I feel freedom. Because when I'm praying for the thing, that thing becomes my idol, and I'm telling you, any form of idolatry is always a slave master, right? I need that thing to be my identity. I need that thing to fill me up. I need that thing. And to be free from that thing, say, I may not ever get that thing. 
I'm going to meditate on God's unfailing love. I'm going to meditate on his face. So look back at your week. What, what has your thing been this week, this month, this year, this series of years? It has, for me, been so subtle the way I, I put the thing as my hope instead of my hope being in God, right? It's like, I'm praying. What am I doing wrong, pastor? I'm like, actually praying. You should be proud of me. <laughs> like, what? It's so subtle when we make the thing our God, when we make the thing our hope, our refuge. Versus, God, I want to see your face. I want to experience your love. God, I am open-handed. I give you the thing, it's yours, but your presence is enough for me. And I'm going to rest in you. And I want to say this, and, and we're closing. Uh, Lorana, you can come back up, and we're going to uh, enter back into a time of communion and a time of worship. I want to say this. I know that it's hard when you don't get the thing. I am not minimizing that at all. There's a gap there. There's a gap. And often it's a gap that'll never be filled this side of eternity. Like there's a gap, there's a hole, there's a, there's a wound there. And it'll never be filled. It'll never change sometimes. And that is really, really difficult. And it hurts. And I really want to legitimize it. But I want us to ask the question, who are you? Who am I without the thing? Who are we without the thing? And God wants to change our prayer to show us your face, show us your love.